Good morning and God bless you. We are so thankful that you are here with us today, that you have come to be a part of our uh, church service today, that we can worship the Lord together and just enjoy, hopefully, just enjoy each other's company and, and kind of grow together in the Lord. It is so, so wonderful to see you all here. Thank you so much for coming. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts? Very interesting place in Scripture, needless to say, because we are in that place where now Paul becomes preeminent within this book. Paul now is going to, as you're going to see today, take center stage. He even moves beyond Barnabas, who Barnabas was there to bring Paul with him when he went to Antioch. Do you remember how things went? Um, if you're, you know, you're in the book of Acts, if you would turn back to the first chapter, in the eighth verse, our Lord gave a commandment to those who were His disciples at that time. This is pre the church. This is pre uh, the day of Pentecost when Peter gives his message and some 3,000 people believe and there within starts the church in Jerusalem. And so Jesus tells them, I'm going away. I'm going to go to be with the Father in heaven, but I will send someone to you, someone who will comfort you, to teach you, to help you. He says, you will, in, in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he says, here's what I want you to do with that power. I want you to be my witnesses. You see, one of the greatest responsibilities that the Lord kind of ever gave to us is the responsibility of carrying on in His mission field. He started it all by telling people who He was and, and, and showing them by miracle after miracle and demonstration after demonstration that He is the Messiah, that He is God here on earth. There, there's no doubt about that. You have to have a fairly hardened heart to have seen what he did, heard what he said, and just deny him. And so he goes away, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave my perfect message, my perfect message with imperfect people. You're going to receive power, and I want you to be my witnesses. What a great, what a great privilege you and I have. I mean, to think that the Lord God himself has, has left with you and me this privilege of being his witnesses. So he says to them, I want you, back in verse 8, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where you are now. And then he says, Judea. And then I want you to go to Samaria. Everywhere. I want you to go to the uttermost parts of this earth. Because as he later taught Peter, everyone is welcome into the family of God. There is no, there is no, uh, there's no barrier, regardless of who you are, regardless of your age or, or your nationality or your cultural background or, or your race. Everyone is welcome into the family of God. And Peter, I want you to proclaim that to everyone. He said, what I have made holy, do not ever again consider unholy or unclean. So if you remember that scenario, when Peter was in Joppa and he went over to this, this, Caesarea, uh, this guy, uh, Cornelius, right, in Caesarea, and, and 
And he said to him, you're welcome into the family of God. Who, who am I? God has said that everyone's welcome. And so the message now goes from our, our Lord to the disciples. And if we understand Scripture correctly, as, as we're trying to do here, that message moves from generation to generation to us. And so what Paul is going to teach us today, it's, a, it's just an amazing place in Scripture, this place. Very subtle, though. You can read over what is happening here, and if you're not careful, you can miss what we are to be like as believers. And it falls in line with everything else that the Lord has taught us. You see, the Lord did not leave His most precious body, the church, to be run haphazardly. He he didn't ever think that we would have to have church and... uh, make it so friendly that everybody out there will be like them and they'll feel comfortable with us. The Bible has taught us that we're to stand true to what we believe so when the people out there see us, they're going to see something different. And the church has... I don't know how long it's been doing this, but it has now taken the message to make it compatible in here so that we look like them out there so that they won't feel bad when they come in here. And it's never supposed to have been that way. Ever, never. The church was set up so that when believers did what our Lord asked us to do, the people out there found favor with the people in here. And they started coming in here, and the Bible says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And if we continue to water down what is being done in here, they won't see any difference in here, and they're going to do what the world is doing to us today. You guys are a bunch of bigots, you Christians. You don't see the world is changing right before your eyes and you refuse to change with it. And we have so watered down the Word of God and so watered down church that people have become indignant against us because we're trying to be like them and they're trying to make us good like them. So let's let's accept everything. Everything is good. Everything is fine. So we need to be a place, as Paul is teaching us, really our Lord is teaching us here in this book of Acts, we need to be a place that is is filled with uncommon people who have a common trust and belief in Christ. And so that we will, by the grace of God, be His witnesses. And when we go with this witness, it won't be, it won't be like they've heard it before. It'll be something different that'll change their life. It's, it's like, do you remember? In chapter 8, Stephen was persecuted. persecuted. He was killed, stoned to death. And from that moment, the church had to scatter because everyone now wanted to attack not only the leadership of the church, but they wanted to attack us, the common folks. So we got out of town. That's what they did. They got out of Jerusalem. And they went to Samaria. And they went to Judea. Remember, that's in chapter 8. Then, in chapter 11, they moved out from Samaria and Judea 
and they went towards Antioch. Now, Antioch, that's a whole nother ball game. Antioch was like most major cities in the United States today, full of just all sorts of, of despicable things going on. And what happens when they hit Antioch? When the message of Christ hits Antioch? It explodes. It explodes because the people in Antioch wanted something different. At least it appears that they did because it says in chapter 11, look with me at chapter 11. I'm, I'm way ahead of myself in the notes, but forgive me. Just absolutely love this place in Scripture because it's so subtle. And, and, and Paul's going to teach us so much. Well, the Lord's going to teach us so much through Paul. And so when... when um, when, when he goes to Antioch, it, it says in, in chapter 11, uh, verses 19 and 20, th- those that were scattered, see, this is more the scattering of, of the persecution of Stephen. Look, verse 19, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen, they made their way to Phoenicia and to Cyprus and to Antioch. They spoke the word of God to no one except the Jews alone. That was before now everything's going to change. Everything's going to change, and it's going to be to everybody, Gentiles and all. Okay. It said in verse 21, The hand of the Lord was with them. Excuse me. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So many, so many in this town of Antioch, that when it reached the ears of the leadership in Jerusalem, they said, Whoa, we've got to do something. Basically, what they wanted to do was not allow the church in Antioch to just go off on a tangent. So they said, let's send them who? Do you remember? Barnabas. Let's send Barnabas to Antioch so that he can kind of pull the reins in and make sure they're going in the direction that we have been given orders to go. And let me refresh your memory. Do you know the orders of a church? The church, it's not brain surgery, folks. The apostles said, we want a group of people who are continually devoted to the things of the Lord. That should be our attitude. Our attitude is not to just to be freshened up and, and be all you know spanky clean here on Sunday, but we should be on a daily basis continually devoted to the things of the Lord. And so that you and I will know, what are we to be devoted to? Peter said, it's really simple, four things. You've got to be continually devoted to the apostles' teachings. That is the Word of God. You need to be continually devoted to fellowship because out there in that world, you're going to get beaten up. And in here, we need, we need the comfort of fellowship of one another so we can encourage one another and, and, and not lose heart. So we need to be continually devoted to teaching. We need to be continually vote, devoted to, the, to fellowship. And also, we need to be continually devoted to communion. Breaking of bread. The reason communion is because communion serves its purpose in your life and my life. Number one, it reminds us if there's any sin in our heart. So that we might ask the Lord to forgive us and repent. It also is a reminder in our life to the very core of who we are. It is a remembrance of who Jesus Christ is and what He did on the cross by shedding His blood for your and my sin. So we're to be continually devoted to that communion because it brings us to the very core of who we are, believers 
in Jesus Christ. And then we are to be continually devoted to prayer. Because prayer, prayer is what accomplishes much in your life and my life. And so that's the core of church. That's what church was to be. And Barnabas was to go to Antioch and say, this is what I want you guys to be continually devoted to. When he got there, he looked at the size of it and he said, I can't do this. I'm reading into it. But it's, 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 you can see it. Look at verses, I think 11, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, is it? Doesn't it, verse 25, he goes to, to, uh, see, to Tarsus to find Saul, doesn't he? Is it, yeah, verse 25. He goes there and he, he says, I, I can't do this alone. And who does he look for? Oh man, he knew exactly who he wanted. I'll tell you what, what Barnabas was like to me. Barnabas was like this super scout in, in sports, you know. He, when he saw talent, he knew talent. And he saw this, this phenom could play shortstop for him or be his quarterback or, or his point guard. This is Saul. I'm getting Saul here at this church. And so he goes there in Tarsus, finds Saul, brings him back to Antioch. And what did Barnabas and Saul do? In verse 26, they taught them. They taught the people in Antioch for an entire year. And what we're going to see now, through all of this, as we go to chapter 13, is the benefit, the benefit that Barnabas and Saul, who in chapter 13 finally now will be able to call him Paul with a very clear conscience, because now he will be known in verse 9 forevermore as Paul. They, ha- they, they Barnabas and Paul, are going to reap the benefit of their teaching this church in Antioch. Because this church in Antioch became one thing for certain. They were a spirit-filled and spirit-led group of believers who are going to impact the world. It is from Antioch that the Lord God will now move from Jerusalem, from Judea, from Samaria. It is from Antioch that the message will go to the uttermost parts of the world through Barnabas and Saul, but basically through the church in Antioch. Amazing. Because who would have, if we were there at that time, who would have any of us guessed that Antioch, Antioch would be the place that was so spiritually enriched. Now we're going to try to talk about three, four things in these 12 verses we're about to read. This is my, I believe, the core of a church. A core of a church, I'm going to tell you before I read so that kind of when we go over it, it'll be really familiar, hopefully. A core of a church is that it is led by a variety of people. It is led by people who have trouble hearing but understand. It is led by young people as well as older people. It is led by people of all different races and creed and cultures. The church ought to reflect our society so the society would see how a church, what a church can really be and what, how it can really function. It should be led by 
a multicultural people. Also, a church should never change the message that has been given it. When Paul went out into the other arenas, other areas, other places, he never changed the message. I will show you that. And then, of course, because of reading and understanding and hopefully growing in the Word of God, you and I will become Spirit-filled, Spirit-led people. Now, let's read and see what this says to you in verses uh, 1 through 12 of chapter 13. My, it's amazing. Watch, watch, watch. It's, it's utterly, it's astonishing to me. Now it says in verse 1, There were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is also called Niger, Niger Lucius of Cyrene, Mananin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man... Sergius Paulus summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 9, But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened and being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And a lot in there. Let's try and get some sense of it. It is amazing. What you're going to see is Paul's commitment to teaching the Word of God. And it is seen by what this intelligent man, this proconsul... Proconsul means he was a, a, a part of the government of Rome. He was a, a high official... The Bible says for no other reason than we should know he was a man of great intelligence. And yet Paul preached to him so that he heard the word of God. It, it just moves my spirit. Let me pray with you, please. Father, would you open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might behold the wonders of your word? Would you bless us this day, Father? Would you hide the one, please, that gives the message? Let us... Let us not be so concerned about who might be speaking. Let us be more concerned about the words that we have just read. Let us see your Son 
in all of his glory. Let us see you, Father, as you minister through the hearts of a, a man named Barnabas, a man named Paul, and others like them um, there in, in the book, in the church in Antioch. And may we, Father, by the grace of an almighty God, become like that church, a group of people, multicultured, multi-raced, but single in our purpose, in our love for you. A spirit-led, spirit-filled group of believers who will not compromise the word of God. And when we will not compromise, then we shall see how people will believe. Thank you, Father, for this privilege that you've given us today. May, may we, Father, be faithful to you always. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, give me one second. Let me see how far I went ahead of this when I was talking to you. I was kind of going through it. Let me show you, first and foremost, I want you to take a look at the group of men. Now there are five men in the church of Antioch. Up to this point, all we knew was Barnabas and Saul, who now is Paul. But if you look at verse 1, we find three other people there in that church who are said to have the gift of being prophets and teachers. You'll note there is no longer the gift of apostles. That gift, once the twelve go away, once they die, that gift is over with. But there will always be within the church the gift of evangelist, prophet, teacher, and pastor. A prophet in this case is not someone who foresees the future. A prophet in this case is someone who can proclaim the Word of God so that people understand it. It is a wonderful, wonderful gift when someone can so speak the Word of God that all of a sudden it starts to make sense to us. And so that is a prophet teacher these three men, along with Barnabas and Saul, made up this church in Antioch as far as we know. That's the only ones that were mentioned. Let's take a look at them because it's important to see them. Simeon has a Latin nickname. His nickname is Niger. That means he is a man of dark skin. That was his nickname. There is some speculation, but not we don't know for certain, that he is the same Simeon who carried the cross of Jesus Christ when Jesus became weary and was going up the hill to Golgotha. He couldn't carry his cross anymore. Simeon came, took it on his back, and carried it the rest of the way for him, supposedly. That could be this man. The other man we see is Lucius. He is a man from Serene. That is North Africa. He more than likely was one of the founding fathers of this church along with when Barnabas and, and Paul came there. He was one of the first, you can note out of, well, you don't have to look, but in chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, he was more than likely the one who led them in their beginnings as a new church. The third individual is really unique. His name is Manaen. It, it, it means comforter. He was, as we are told, involved in the highest level of government. He was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. It is extremely ironic to me that one of the church leaders, Manaen, 
is a member of Herod's court who, at one time, like Saul, wanted all the Christians dead. They were in fierce opposition to Jesus Christ and the movement of the church. And now he is one of the disciples of the Lord in one of the greatest churches of Antioch. He was at one time along the group, whether he ever was or not, we are not told, but he was among the group that wanted the Christians dead, just like Saul. And now here's he and Saul working side by side, feeding people the Word of God. In verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 13, of all the factors that made Antioch a strong influence in their time was their submission to the Holy Spirit from both its leaders. As you see in verse 9, it says Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit as well as the congregation. In verses 2 and 4, we learn that the congregation also was Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. Now, let's just stop and answer the question. What marks a Spirit-filled church? Because that's what I'd like for us to become. Don't need to go to seminary to find the answer. You don't have to know a lot of theology to understand. What makes a Spirit-filled church? A Spirit-filled church people, plain and simple, are those who want to walk in obedience to the will of God. The hitch in that is, you and I will never know the will of God unless we understand what what the will of God says we are to do and not to do. We do not have the right to just haphazardly choose what we want and not want to do concerning the will of God. We need to know what is the will of God. And the only way you and I will know the will of God is to understand the Word of God. It's as simple as that. And once we know the Word of God, to be Spirit-filled is whenever we sense there's a sin in our life, whatever that sin might be, to not let it linger, but immediately go to our Lord and ask for forgiveness. If you will confess your sin, our sin, if we confess our sin, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which makes us at that point in time Spirit-filled, Spirit-led people. It's as easy as that. Don't have to be a seminary student. You don't have to have all kinds of knowledge. It's just walking in obedience to the will of God through the Word of God. You see, the Word of God is the only thing that we are told in Scripture that penetrates our hearts. The Word of God does its work in us. Oh, wait, so it doesn't make it look like I'm walking at them because they're walking in. That would be embarrassing. The The Word of God is what is done to do what God has appointed for it to do within our lives. And it will not come back void. It will accomplish, the Word of God, will accomplish what He wants to accomplish within your life. Not my philosophy of ministry, not my philosophy of religion. The Word of God. It moves into your heart and it starts to penetrate and it will move you, change you, if you would, make you a spirit filled, Spirit-led believer. And you can be a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led believer the first day you come to Christ. 
doesn't have to be, you have to be old and mature. It is instantaneously accessible, is that the right word? Uh, available for all of us. Therefore, a spirit-filled church must be a church deeply committed to God's Word. It must be. There's no other way you can cut it. And our example is none other than Barnabas and Saul. When Barnabas saw this church, rather than to let it go amok, he brings in Saul, and for an entire year they taught the people the Word of God. As a church, the church of Antioch saw the, uh, the value of being obedient. And in so doing, they were the ones that sent Saul and Barnabas out. Not the church in Jerusalem. We don't see the church in Judea or Samaria doing this. No, these bunch of renegades who lived in Antioch became infiltrated with the Word of God and sent Barnabas and Saul out into the mission field. Second thing, these five guys, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen and Saul, they're as different as night as day. You take a study at their character, where they're from, their ages, their cultural, their racial background. They had different skills. They were of different ages. They looked differently than one another. Their personalities were different. Their likes and their dislikes were different. The only common thread that the five of them had in common with one another was their bond and their love for Jesus Christ, which made them brothers, sisters in the Lord. That's the common goal that you and I have as a church, to get to the place where we are, we are so spirit-filled and spirit-led that there's a common bond to us. To me, this is just my opinion A particular sign when a church is doing the will of God is when the church is really filled with radical, different people. People who wear uh, jeans and, 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 and cutoffs and sandals and come to church and feel apart. And no one looks at them differently. Like, what are you dressed like that for? What's the difference in the way they're dressed? Is there a love of Christ in their lives? Regardless of their age. Whether they be young, they can help lead. Whether they be old, they can help lead. People of different racial background, cultural background, different ages. All of us united by one common thread within the Rock Community Church. And that is, we have a love for Jesus Christ and He alone. That's a common bond that ought to be in every church. And that doesn't happen, folks, until the Word of God is start to be taught and learned. Now, there's a couple of interesting words. In verses 2 and 3, you'll see the word fasting. And sometimes people wonder about, what is fasting all about? You see it in Scripture, nobody seems to talk about it. Fasting is pure and simple, a, a, a time to worship and pray. You can fast, if you so desire to fast, for a meal. Say there's something on your heart you want to pray for. Maybe a kid, maybe your parent, maybe your wife, your husband. And you want to just lift them up in prayer. You can fast. Fast one meal. You can fast a breakfast. You can fast a lunch. You can fast dinner. You can fast a whole day if you want to. You can fast a number of days if you want to. 
you can fast a certain food. Let's say it's chocolate. Who doesn't like chocolate? Everybody loves chocolate. Okay, I'm not going to have chocolate for a while. Fast from that. Or ice cream. Don't have ice cream for a while. See how much you crave it once you say you're not going to have it. The craving is for a purpose. The craving is to remind you that your dependence isn't upon the chocolate or the meal or the ice cream. Your dependency is not upon that. Your dependency is upon the Lord. It's just a reminder is all it is. That's fasting, pure and simple. To fast and to pray for one another. This church did that. Also, you see in verse 2, I think it is, Key word, set apart. Set apart. It, it, in the Greek, it is A-P-H-O-R-I-Z-E. It, it's, it's to put something aside for a special use. Every single one of us here today who has asked Jesus Christ to be our Lord and our Savior, we are all set apart. He has set you and me, us, apart to be a part of the family of God. Set us apart from the world into the family. The family of Jesus Christ Himself. Now, Paul was, at three different occasions, it is mentioned that he was set apart. I want you to see him. Look at at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. Hold your place here in Acts. We'll come right back. Galatians is to the right. Uh, Acts, you'll go past Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, then you'll hit Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Paul was set apart from his mother's womb, it says. Look, he says in verse 11 of chapter 1 of Galatians, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. In other words, what he is going to say, and we'll learn if we were to study through this, is he learned it from the Lord. He got his, I don't know, he's got his scholarship from Jesus. But look what it says. He says, I want you to know, it wasn't preached to me according to man. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, look at verse 13. Because he says, you heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. Tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he, verse 15, when he who had set me apart, Paul says he was set apart just as you and I have been set apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor do I go to Jerusalem. And he goes on and on. Now turn back towards the book of Acts and stop at the book of Romans. It's just to the left. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, and then go to chapter 1. And you will see that Paul not only was set apart from his birth, he was set apart at conversion, the time he came to Christ. He says purely and simply in chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, he announces, he is Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, note, set apart for the gospel of God. Folks, I'm here to say to you that you and I also have been set apart. We have been set apart from our mother's womb to be a part of the family of God. You and I have been set apart 
for the cause of Christ. Whatever that might be in your life. And it might be different for you than it is for the other person. Not all of us are going to be like Paul. Some of us won't be quite that bold. But God needs you just as you are. If you have a gentle and a quiet spirit, you're not someone that's going to go out and speak a lot. That's perfect because God needs you in someone's life who needs to have someone gentle and quiet share their faith with them. They don't need this this guy that's going to try to bowl them over with facts and all that stuff. And yet, on the other hand, for some of you that want to bowl people over, there are people out there that need to hear from you too, that need to be bowled over so that they become convinced of their faith. He uses all of us just as we are. So for the grace of God, don't try to be like someone else. God made you as you are for a reason so that He can use you just as you are. We have been set apart, folks. And back here in chapter 13 and verse 2, we see that Paul now was set apart for the, for the work of going out into the mission field. And you and I have been set apart for that as well, by the way. Not to go to some far off distance land, unless that's a part of your heart that nobody can stop you. In fact, I was talking to someone just in between the two services and this lady told me that she has a friend that just cannot wait to go somewhere to tell people about Jesus Christ. And she asked me, how does she know if she's truly a missionary? I said, well, her, her heart lingers for her to go. She now needs to know what she's going to say when she gets there and she needs to be tested so that she is so that she has a grasp of the gospel. Because we are not to go and just say whatever we want. No, we have orders from our Lord what we are to say to people. I'll show you. I'll show you through Paul. Man, I love old Paul. Watch what Paul says. The moment he goes out into the mission fields, look, when they, verse 5, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 5, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim what? The Word of God. Folks, it's not brain surgery. That is the message that you and I give. Not about church, not about uh, programs or agendas or our philosophy of, of religion. No, proclaim the Word of God. Again, we see written within the Bible the overwhelming importance of us being a church, a people who understand the Word of God and are able to teach it. You need it just as much as Paul did when he went to Salamis. He needed to know the Word of God, and you need to know the Word of God for your neighbor, or your son, or your daughter, or your parents, or a family member, or a friend, or whomever it is that you come in contact with. You and I need to be grounded in the Bible so that we can lead people to Christ and who He is, and He alone So we see that Paul did it. Can we do anything less? I say no. No, we cannot. Now, watch why I love Paul so much. You talk about a person that would have trouble in today's society. He is so politically incorrect that he... I love him. I love him. Look at verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, this poor guy, this Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, that is the governor, uh, works for the government in Rome, proconsul. He was with the proconsul, the proconsul's name was Sergius Paulus, and he was a man of intelligence. And this man, Sergius Paulus, 
summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear about this God that they're talking about. But Elimus, verse 8, the magician, for this for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, opposing Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul, that that government official, away from the faith. What does Saul do? Does Saul say, wait, 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 let's reason together. You go ahead and tell him what you believe and let me tell him what I believe, okay? No, no, Paul says to him in front of everybody, he says in verse 8, he says, what I really like is when it says, Saul says in verse 9, fixed his gaze upon him. You know what he did? He said, look me in the eye, Bar-Jesus. Look me in the eye. And when Bar-Jesus looked him in the eye, Paul said, you are full of all deceit and fraud. You're a son of the devil, aren't you? You're an enemy of righteousness. Are you going to not cease to make crooked the straight way of the Lord? Let me tell you what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to do to you the same thing happened to me. It helped me, maybe it'll help you. You're going to go blind for a while. And immediately this guy's going, what, where, who's this, what happened to me? He's blind as a bat. I mean, Saul does not politically take care of this guy so nicely because that was Paul. That's why I love Paul. Paul was, by his name, it means he was small. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to lay my eyes on him. What is he all about? Did he say, look, fix fix your eyes on me. You, You fraud. You're full of deceit. You're a son of the devil. You're, you're full of, you're messing around with the righteousness of God. Go blind in front of it. Now, politically, that's not the thing to do. But why? watch, watch what happened to this proconsul. Watch what happens to Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus, when he saw this in verse 12, said the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of Paul. Does it say the teaching of Paul? I did that on purpose. No. Paul taught the Word of God to this dear man. He did not compromise anything. He taught him the Word of the Lord. That's what Sergius Paulus needed to hear. Paul fixed his gaze upon this guy, put him in his place, and then preached the gospel to this guy, and this guy believed. Let me say something to you as we close. Folks, let me, if you teach, no matter where you go, no matter where you go, let people somehow, someway see Jesus in and through your life. If you're a teacher, if you're an evangelist, if you're whatever it is you do, don't let people see you so much as they see the Bible. Let them see the things you're talking about because once they come to Christ, they won't be looking for you for help. They'll be looking to the One who gave them their salvation for help and they'll grow in this. And this is what you and I want to do. We don't want to grow in a person. We don't want to grow in whoever the pastor of of this church. We want to grow in our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we need to do here at this church, whether it's with kids uh, young adults or, or more mature people, we need to let them see Jesus. We need to let them concentrate on who He is so that they fall in love with Him and not us. That's what Paul did. Paul allowed the people to see Jesus. And it changed that proconsul's life. He believed 
And he was never, ever the same. We don't know much about him after this, but I know he was never the same. You know how I know? Because neither have I been the same. Neither have you been the same. When you really come to a true trusting of faith of Jesus Christ, your life changes. And that, that weight that's on your back, all of a sudden it's gone. And all of a sudden you, you're not so concerned about, if I die today, oh man, I hope I get to heaven. No, you get to that place when you know, you know, you know that your eternity is secure in who you are in Christ and that He's in control of your life, not you and not some preacher. That Jesus Christ is the one who's in control. And when that happens in your life, it'll be so easy to be spirit-filled, spirit-led. It'll be easier to really kind of catch the whole idea of what it is to walk with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And to love Him and do the things that God has called us to do. That's what church is really all about. Church isn't about a speaker. It never has been. It never has. Look at the cross. It's about that. It's about Jesus. It's about knowing and loving Him. Falling in love with Him. Being a person that that desires to follow Him. Father, may we be that people. May we be uh, moved in our spirits to get to know more about You so that we can fall in love with You. Like Paul, may we be a people that present to others when we witness about you. May we present them who you are. And like Paul, may we be a church that will never compromise the Word of God because it is the Word of God over and over again. We see from Scripture, it is the Word of God that changes lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for everybody here. We love them so much. Everybody, Father, is welcome. Will you bless this day wherever we may go? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. I love you very much.